Time travel. The Grady High School auditorium was overrun by pimple-faced students and body odor. As a group, the students looked smelly with unimpressive hygiene, so the B.O. didn't surprise me nearly as much as the lack of energy did. This was the last day of school. What was wrong with these kids? I spotted a fabulous burst of blonde hair in the audience and smiled. It was my little brother, Chewy, strategically hidden in the back near an exit. Even from a distance, I could see he was horrified. Horrified, but still beautiful. When I told him I was doing this, he flipped out and begged me not to. I thought he'd be excited about me speaking to his school, but I was completely wrong. After a lengthy negotiation, we agreed I would give my speech, but with zero references to him, specifically or in a familial manner. Whatever. Rusty spoke himself before introducing me, long enough for my mind to start wandering. I love that he and Boomer still refused to admit I was faster than them on skis, even though our entire trivia group witnessed it firsthand last winter. Rusty and Boomer were athletes and athletic-looking. I was neither. You can imagine their displeasure as I'd pass them effortlessly on the slopes, over and over again. Maybe I should add another nugget of wisdom to my speech and tell his students, never try to outski a rich kid. Looking behind Rusty, I saw the tuning forks set up on the stage and remembered I was hungover and about to speak to four billion smelly kids. Panic set in. Why am I doing this? I'm not a public speaker. I don't even have kids. What was I going to talk about? Why didn't I write something down? I'm about to disappoint one of my best friends. Wait. I gathered myself as I remembered the stress reversion mantra my brother Bo had pioneered and taught me years ago. Whenever you're freaking out about something, take your fear, i.e., why am I doing this, reverse it, and add, why the fuck, in front of it. Then you have to say it in a confident manner. Why the fuck wouldn't I do this? From there, you can freestyle. What the fuck wouldn't I say to these kids who desperately need my nuggets of wisdom? You get it. I was mouthing my stress reversion mantras, getting pumped up and feeling like I had something to say to these horrible-smelling kids when I redirected my focus back to Rusty. His concern was palpable as he stared back at me through the silence of the auditorium. Am I on? I asked Rusty's assistant, whose incredulous reaction I took as a yes. Why the fuck aren't I on? I said to myself as I walked a fuck-you strut to the center stage. The room was enormous, and the idea of this much attention got me so excited I made the mistake of breathing through my nose and damn near passed out from the smell. In the apartment business, when you get into a strong odor situation, you learn to breathe through your mouth, which I'd been doing since I entered the auditorium. It may have been me almost passing out, but I'm pretty sure it was my fuck you strut that scared Rusty, because I didn't even know a fuck you strut existed until just then. But when I was close enough, I could see fear in the eyes of my favorite principal. He looked afraid and pained at the same time, like he'd just blown a huge purchase and I was planning on using the microphone he was holding to tell his wife. He instinctively moved the microphone behind his back. I'm coming in, son. You best give me that mic. I whispered in a low, excited tone. I had a tendency to speak Southern when I attempted macho. Rusty handed me the microphone like he'd just made a career-ending mistake. It was a little dramatic, if you ask me. Hello, everyone. I'm Parker Duke, and I want to say right now, 
I am in no way related to anybody here at Grady, and I am especially not related to my little brother, Chewy Duke, there in the back. I proudly pointed at my little Mexican brother, paralyzed by fear in the audience. Paralyzed by fear, but still beautiful. Now that we have that out of the way, I'll start with a question. Do you know what you can't stop? Nothing. Not even a smart-ass answer. Nothing at all. Progress! Shouted an overeager Rusty stage right. Thank you, Dr. Winkle. This was a horrible start. But I guess it didn't matter. I wasn't sure I believed in progress anymore myself. Why did I think this would be fun? Had I just thought of this beforehand, I would have totally reconsidered. We weren't in a smoky bar, drunk, goofing off. I didn't know Rusty was going to be super serious about being an adult and not swearing. This was not fun, and honestly, I was disappointed they weren't filming it. If I'm ever a dad, one of the first things I'll tell my kids is, if you do something crazy, film it. That way, you can either capture greatness, laugh at the mistakes, or show the emergency room doctor exactly what happened. I didn't want to disappoint Rusty, though. When Dr. Winkle invited me to speak at the last day of school assembly, I thought he was drunk. Not because we'd been drinking for three hours playing trivia, but because I didn't think any of you would want to hear what I had to say. I smiled and looked over at Rusty. I was proud to have him as my friend and drinking buddy. I thought it might be a special moment, but he'd turned white as a ghost. He was staring at me, exasperated, and mouthed the word, please. And then, I think he mouthed, for the love of God. But I wasn't completely sure, because he's not religious at all. Oops. Just kidding. We drink Sprite at Trivia, and even if he was drunk on Sprite, he was adamant the next day he thought you guys might benefit from my story and what I'd tell my high school self if I had the opportunity. So here I am. Crickets from the audience. Sheesh. This in my head hurt like a motherfucker. There's no way I can fill 20 minutes. I know you're probably thinking, what wisdom could this guy share? Young and possibly handsome, he looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. Finally, some laughter from the zombies. All at my expense, but I didn't care. That was the joke. It's easy to see I'm not that great looking. But for someone as young and handsome as I am, I've been through a lot. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of my life, and then you can decide for yourself. For me, it started at birth. I won the genetic lottery. I was born into the Duke family, spelled D-U-Q-U-E, not D-U-K-E like the university. We weren't a wealthy family. We were a ridiculously wealthy family from up north in Elgin, Illinois. Elgin's about 50 minutes west of Chicago. My grandfather started what we preferred to call an industrial company that became a leader in porcelain toilets and laboratories. There was life in the auditorium with the mention of the toilet business. Several small voices in the crowd could be heard making my family's infamous connection to popular culture. The shitter albatross, as my mother used to call it. We're one rung away from a funeral home empire. That's right. Let's go ahead and get this over with. If you've ever heard a classy person announce on their way to the bathroom, I've got to take a duke. That's my family, the dukes. That's my heritage. Toilets. Duke industrial fixtures. Aren't we proud? 
For me, the notoriety and the money were short-lived, though. The downward spiral in my story starts when Congress decided Americans were using too much water and reduced the amount new toilets could use per flush. My well-meaning father, Lucas Duke, bankrupted the company trying to develop a water-saving toilet that eliminated buckshot and feces in one flush, which we now know is impossible. I remember Dad ranting after a couple drinks. No person should have to eyeball their own buckshot, and they sure as hell shouldn't have to deal with a remnant on holiday just because tree huggers are concerned about water consumption. That's what my dad called floaters, remnants on holiday. The students were howling and finally getting into it. I was hoping they would. I knew we had one thing in common. Just like me, most kids think bathroom humor is hilarious. Poor old Rusty looked like his butt was puckered, but I'm sorry. You can't tell my family story without bathroom humor, and he knew that. This was becoming too stressful, so I decided to avoid looking at him for the rest of the speech. Anyway, Dad would lose his mind over it. Have they seen Lake Michigan? That's a lot of water. We aren't running out anytime soon. Where's the decency? Just give me two gallons. Two gallons! Like any man, the more he drank, the more he'd ask for. Just give me five gallons. Oh, you wouldn't believe what we could move with five gallons. I could get it all the way to Washington with five gallons. I knew not to look Rusty's way, but I felt despair coming from his general direction, like maybe a clipboard had been dropped or thrown. Well, enough with the glamour. I was throwing a house party a month before I graduated, the first Duke to graduate from Purdue without an engineering degree, and my father shows up. He was there to tell me the $27 million trust fund he'd set aside for me was revocable. And by revocable, he means can be taken away. Our company had released a line of toilets with a new design that didn't work, and the Duke Industrial Fixture Company was no more. My company stock was worthless, and what little was left of my trust was being transferred into my mother's name. Our estate in Elgin was foreclosed upon and sold for pennies on the dollar to a country club nemesis of my father's. Good times. Okay, we've probably gone too far down this road. I fought the urge to look as a chorus of murmured agreement came from Rusty's direction. But you can imagine the impact it had on a kid who grew up as wealthy as I did. I mean, until then, there wasn't an itch that hadn't been scratched. My wealth had become a big part of my identity and probably the main thing I was known for, the heir to a toilet fortune. And let's be honest here, when you're not the best-looking guy in the room, having a truckload of money goes a long, long way. I was the guy who picked up the tab for the entire bar at Harry's after Purdue won its big football game. Both times. I was the guy who bought late-night pizza after the bars for 20 people. Everybody wanted me around because I never minded footing the bill. Obviously, when my dad left that night, I was devastated. It didn't take long for my world to start falling apart. I was such a self-centered asshole, even my girlfriend left me, and she was probably the only person who might have liked me for who I was, instead of what I could pay for. I didn't give up, though. I still had advantages. Like most, I was lucky enough to have a college degree and no student loans. I went into real estate, humbled myself, and worked really hard. It was a slow start, but eventually I was allowed to invest my own money into the deals we were buying. After a while, the project started adding up. Before I knew it, I had significant capital holdings. I was a success. 
Had you asked me as a trust fund kid if I could get a job and be successful on my own, I would have told you I could, maybe even convincingly. But on the inside, I wouldn't have believed a single word of it. Now, I don't have $27 million, but the money I have, I made myself and people. That's a great feeling. Not everyone can say that they're self-made. I surprised myself. It's a little embarrassing. I was forced to do it, but who cares? The important thing is I did it. Maybe you can surprise yourself too. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started. Who here believes in time travel? Every geek in the auditorium raised their hand. Some felt strongly enough to stand and raise their hand. That's kind of a Star Trek question, I know, but don't be worried. I'm talking about pretend time travel. Any geeks left on their feet fell to their seats, disillusioned. The enthusiasm of the entire Greek student body had left the building. Pretend I traveled back in time to be here today with information from the future. Several great nuggets of wisdom you wanted to send back to give yourself a heads up. Is that too confusing? I could see right away it was. Okay, scratch that. Let's say you have Mr. Sheehan for history this year, and your good friend had Mr. Sheehan for history last year. A good friend would let you know that old man Sheehan makes his tests, including the midterm and the final, out of the study guide questions at the end of the chapter. Well, with that scoop, history's going to be a whole lot easier, isn't it? That good friend is performing the same sort of time travel I'm doing for you here today. I mean... I'm not giving out specific answers, but hopefully some thoughtful insight to make it easier for you to figure out your own answers. Think about it. What if your friend told you this after you got a crappy grade in history? You'd wish you could go back in time and tell yourself everything was right there in the study guide that nobody ever looks at because it's a study guide. But you can't do that, can you? You have to rely on a friend who has already learned the lesson and been thoughtful enough to send it back, like me. Honestly, I went to my last high school reunion, and if I could do legit time travel, I'd love to go back and tell myself who turned into what, because I had been given a lot of people way too much credit. The most popular kid from my high school, the homecoming king, sells cologne at a kiosk inside the worst mall in town. I could give you other examples, although I'm not sure you would appreciate how crazy it is that Sean Galligan, the tough-as-nails transfer student from Virginia, ended up as the chief creative officer of the vaunted Miami fashion house, Mark Fisher Couture. Hopefully today we can put things into a little bit better perspective. That's the first nugget of wisdom I'd like to share with you. It's super important because life is all about perspective, how you choose to look at things. Remember to keep things in perspective and life will be easier for you and probably the people around you. Let me give you an example. Think of somebody who had just been told they had three months left to live. That's a horrible situation. Could you think of anybody who'd jump at the chance to trade places with them? No? What about a political prisoner in Siberia, wrongly jailed in a gulag, starving on mush, forced to eat cockroaches in the dark with no human contact, sleeping on concrete, knowing this would be their routine until death, however long that took. Do you think that person would want to trade places? 
Three months to go outside, visit loved ones, blow the rest of your dough on great food. Three months to live sounds fantastic to someone locked away in a Siberian prison. Who do you think would get the most out of their last three months of life? Somebody angry they were robbed of a longer life? Or someone grateful they weren't locked away in a Siberian prison? Perspective. Sure, that's extreme, but just remember this. As bad as you have it, somebody else has it worse. So buck up, little ponies. That's the truth. My mom always says, life is what you make it. And it drives me crazy because she's always right. Now I say it all the time. Sometimes you don't want to hear it, mostly because it's always true. If you don't like something, do something about it. Life is what you make it. I doubt high schools have changed much from my days, and I suspect there's a giant group of you here at Grady that feels like you don't fit in. I get it. Several pockets of nerds in the auditorium raised unsolicited hands, signaling they were beyond help. I ignored them. Nerds, geeks, stoners, awkward people, whoever doesn't seem to fit in here, my heart goes out to you, and I mean that. Like I said, you're the reason I came here today. And now that I've explained perspective, I'd like to help you use it with this next nugget of wisdom from the future. I went to the very front of the stage, mostly because I'm pretty sure I made a judgy face when the nerds raised their hands about not fitting in. And I wanted everyone to know, despite that short lapse of control, this was being delivered with nothing but good intentions. So here's the thing. I didn't come here to tell you I feel sorry for you and what you've gone through. I won't waste either of our time with that because that's not going to do a fuck. That's not going to do anything for you. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see vigorous movement from Rusty. I did almost drop an F-bomb, so despite my previous resolve to avoid looking in his direction, I caved. His arms were spread wide in disbelief. He broke into a filming mime and stage-whispered. For the love of God, cut the swearing. Wait, I'm on camera? This is being filmed? I turned to the other side of the stage, which looked identical, except instead of an upset principal, there were a pair of greasy-haired AV geeks manning the oldest camera I'd ever seen. Game on. Like I said, I didn't come here to tell you I felt sorry for you. Not at all. I came here to give you great news. Fantastic news. Ready? High school doesn't last forever. I let the obvious soak in. Seriously, that's what you need to know. High school is such an incredibly small part of your life. It might seem like it'll go on forever but only because you don't know any better. If you hear anything I say here today, hear this. High school doesn't go on forever, and it will be over before you know it, good or bad. High school has its moments of greatness. It's the first time in your life you have a little bit of freedom and you feel like an adult, which is exciting. I get it. That's why high school can feel like everything for someone in the middle of it, especially if they've lost perspective. But I'm here to give you perspective and tell you that high school is nothing in the big picture. This is your life. At the end of the day, it's up to you guys. Remember, life is what you make it. High school is what you make it. 
High school can seem like forever if you let it. It can give you insecurities, invisible scars you'll wear for the rest of your life if you let it. The four short years of high school can impact your entire adult life if you let it. Please, what I'm telling you today is, don't let it. Don't let such a small, inconsequential period of your life have such a disproportionate impact on who you become as an adult. Don't let it. High school is nothing in the big picture. Trust me. Think of it this way. If you're 18 when you graduate from here and you live to be 80, you'll have 62 more years left to live. 62 years is a hell of a long time. Some of you will spend those 62 years clinging to four years of high school, but hopefully the rest of you will be moving onward and upward while the homecoming king squirts cologne on your wrist at the mall and the homecoming queen cleans your teenager's toilet four times a month. The world is so much bigger than this high school and these four walls. You can run as far away from here as you want because you'll never hit a wall that says you can't go any further. You might have to jump into a boat or get a passport, but where you stop is up to you and not the walls around this place. Dr. Winkle told me half of you won't go to college after high school. You should reconsider. College is different now. It's not elitist. College is for everyone. Don't worry about college being too hard. It's not. Trust me. Most of my friends are dim bulbs and they made it through. They had to put in the work, but they made it through. Even if you have to flip burgers while you go to community college, you should do it. It shouldn't be a question of whether to go. It should be a question of where to go. Why is it so important? I'm oversimplifying it, but college is more than getting a degree. It's where you'll find out who you are and what you want to be. It's tough to get anything right at 18, let alone a career path. College is better than high school because you can expect to be left alone. There are very few meatheads in college, and most of them are easily avoidable. This gives you time to learn independence and explore your interests while you figure out who you are and what you want to do. You only get one life. If you are smart, you'll make the most of it. You might even be able to go to a party or two while you're in college. Hell, you might even figure out who you are at a party there. Once I caught myself late, I regretted both the swearing and the party references instantly, and I knew not to look back at Rusty. So that was my point. College is for everybody now. You should use it to figure out what you want to do with your life. If you have a chance or a desire to go to college, do it or find a way to do it, period. The next nugget I will tell you is a favorite of mine. It's a concept proven all around us every day. There is somebody for everybody. In a sappy, romantic way? Sure, absolutely. But you should know that it's just as relevant, if not more, for friendships. You'll make countless lifelong friends after high school. Trust me. You haven't met them yet. Maybe they're in a different auditorium right now, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're probably feeling the same way about a lot of the same things you are. I say it to myself all the time. There is somebody for everybody. It makes me happy. It brings me comfort. It should bring you comfort, too. It's one of the things that makes the world go around. People loving people. Even if you feel alone sometimes, you are anything but alone. Let me put it in a way you can understand. In my high school, there were 1,200 students. At Purdue University, there were 35,000. 
If I found three friends out of 1,200 students at my high school, then theoretically I could expect 87 friends from the 35,000 students at Purdue. Those are fantastic odds. And listen, if it turns out college isn't for you, don't sweat it. Because these days you don't have to go to college to meet people with similar interests. You guys have the internet. Consider this. If you're a person who loves, I don't know, parading around, belting out the sound of music in German while playing the accordion and wearing nothing below the waist, you're probably one in a million. The good news is the Earth's population is almost 7 billion people. That means there's probably 43 members in the Osaka, Japan chapter of the parading around, belting out the sound of music in German while playing an accordion and wearing nothing below the waist fan club. Trust me, there is somebody for everybody, and it's a wonderful thing. Another nugget I would pass on to you is a saying from Eleanor Roosevelt. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your own consent. If some meathead calls me a midget, I'm not going to sweat it because I know I'm five foot ten. I'm not a midget. The point is, people can't make you feel bad about yourself unless you let them. Don't let them. Embrace who you are. Keep this in perspective. It's easier to embrace who you are if you remember there are thousands of people out there whom you've never met cheering you on in spirit. Why? Because they're just like you. You aren't alone. If you feel alone, go find your people. They're out there. Trust me, it's a numbers thing. Seven billion people. The next nugget from the future I'd share with you is really, really simple. And I wish somebody would have told me this earlier. Be nice and treat everyone with respect. It's just like college. It's not that hard. My thing is, treat people with respect first, and if they show over time they don't deserve it, you can stop. Let's not go overboard, right? But until then, be nice and treat people with respect. Your life will be so much better for it. And being nice doesn't mean doing nice things for people or stuff like that. Sometimes being nice is not doing things to people. You can tell a lot about people by how they treat the people around them. When we make fun of someone, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Everyone wants to feel better about themselves, no matter how good they have it. Don't fall into that trap. If you're someone that needs to make fun of somebody in a mean way, try not doing it. Put your effort into something more productive. It might seem hard at first, but just like everything else, it gets easier with practice. I'm not saying you should become Gandhi or anything if something happens that needs to be made fun of, you know... It's too funny to ignore. By all means, let loose. But do it in confidence to a friend. Don't do it in class or in a situation where it will get back to the person. Treat people with kindness and respect. Be nice and you'll go far. It's another proven winning combination. Okay, that's all I can think of from the future now. I gave Rusty, I mean Dr. Winkle, a copy of my speech and he lost it. So I've been winging it up here the whole time. Um... The last invaluable nugget I want to share with you involves props. As I walked over to the tuning forks, I spied Rusty shaking his head, mouthing a relieved, finally, to his assistant. At some point during your freshman year, your physical science teacher probably showed you this experiment. Watch what happens when I strike this tuning fork and set it next to this group of tuning forks. 
I struck the fork hard and set it in its stand next to the bigger group of tuning forks. Who knows what's going to happen when I stop this from ringing? Three or four geeks had recovered enough from the disappointment of pretend time travel to raise their hands. Naturally, I ignored them. I touched the fork to stop it from ringing. Can you still hear it? I put the microphone up to the group of tuning forks and the same sound was ringing. I could hear a reaction from the crowd as I pulled out the ringing tuning fork from the larger group and put my microphone next to it. The ringing was the same as the fork I had struck initially. Did you see that? I didn't even strike this tuning fork, but it's ringing like a... I caught myself. None of the other tuning forks are ringing, though. All I did was strike that fork and set it next to this group. This tuning fork started vibrating along, but only this one. None of the others. Did anybody see me strike this fork? About a hundred smartasses screamed, Yeah! from the crowd, happy with their super witty outbursts. I was just happy they were listening. No. Nobody saw me strike this fork because I didn't. This is called resonance. When one tuning fork is struck in the vicinity of another with the same natural frequency, they both vibrate. The other tuning forks have different natural frequencies, so nothing happened with them. That's what I want to convey to you. This is how life works. This same thing happens inside of us. Everybody has their own tuning forks. There's nothing you can do about it. When some fancy pants says something resonates with them, this is what they mean. You've got tuning forks for everything. Music, recreational activities, friends, life partners, careers, pets, you name it. Take music as an example. I'm lucky. I have multiple tuning forks, one for almost every genre, so I can listen to a bunch of different kinds of music and enjoy myself. Not everyone's so lucky. A couple of weeks ago, I had a co-worker tell me I listened to bad music. That was her opinion of my tuning fork. It's kind of rude when you think about it. It's like telling me I have a big nose. I can't change what my tuning forks ring to, just like I can't change my big nose. Why would I listen to someone tell me it's bad? My only concern in life should be to keep those tuning forks ringing and ring the shit out of them, right? I saw Rusty shaking out of the corner of my eyes. Telling somebody their tuning forks is bad is such a self-centered act it should be embarrassing. But most people have no idea and do it anyway. Don't try to run someone else's life. Respect people's individuality and they'll respect yours. That's another proven winning combination. Remember what Eleanor Roosevelt said? No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. When my co-worker said I listened to bad music, I was unmoved because I knew my tuning forks loved that music. How could they be wrong? I hope that makes sense to some of you and you enjoyed this talk. Maybe, hopefully, it's changed your perspective. I'd hate for you to look back and think, I should have listened to that Parker Duke dude. He was right. The period bell pierced the air with a singular obnoxious ring and students started rustling in their seats. I was pretty much done and Rusty was already speed walking to me, grabbing the microphone as everyone in the gym started howling, probably glad my speech in their day was over. I was glad too. About a minute later, a second bell interrupted Rusty's final announcements and the entire student body finally went apeshit. A flood of students gave me high fives and other truly original compliments on their way out of the auditorium. Rusty was right. Some of them actually listened. Did I help any of them? 
I was basking in this unnatural feeling, thinking, holy shit, is this what it feels like to do good? And then I saw him again. <laughs>